0: I wonder what you would do if you thought your time on earth could be coming to an end. Maybe that's something that a lot of people have been thinking about in the pandemic. I know that a lot of people have bucket lists, things that they want to do um, in their time here. Sometimes it's extreme sports like skydiving. Sometimes it's places they want to go like Great Barrier Reef and New York. Sometimes people, when they think they haven't got a lot of time left, just want to spend more time with family and friends and I know we can all empathise with that today because we're all really missing spending time with family members and friends as we are locked down and I wanted to share with you a story um, about a time where I didn't think that I had a lot of time left. About 14 or so years ago I was um, going to a big church in London and um, I felt that God was asking me to share my testimony on a Sunday morning and my first reaction was absolute terror of standing up in front of so many people. I've always found talking in front of people quite hard until that point and I was quite shy and I'd find that I would just go bright red um, when I was put in a situation like that despite teaching children adults were a bit scary. So I kind of put it off, and I kind of put it to the back of my mind for the next couple of years. But God has a way of keeping on your case about things that he feels that he wants you to do. And so about five years later, I found myself in a situation where I kind of thought, well, it's now or never. I was going through, as some of you know, intense chemotherapy. I had stage three or stage four lymphoma. I was really in a bad way and I felt that this was the time to show obedience to God because I didn't know that I could keep putting it off. So I spoke to the leaders of my church there in Corsham and I asked if I could share my testimony on a Sunday. And they said yes and they gave me a date and that was fine and I started writing down how God had been with me through those really difficult months fighting cancer and at my lowest point, God had given me strength. But as it came closer to the date that Sunday, I found out that the day before the Saturday, I would get the results of a really important scan. And the results would either show that um, the treatment was working and everything was going to be all right health wise, or that the treatment wasn't working. And although that there was a couple of other treatments we could try there wasn't really much hope of being cured and I was sharing that with my house group at the time and saying I don't I this is really difficult um but you know I'm determined to still do it and they were very keen that I didn't Rachel Rachel just wait until we know that it's good news before you share it what what is bad news that's not going to be helpful to anyone in the church So I prayed about it and I asked God about it and I really felt strongly that I needed to stand up with two endings to what I was going to say because there was no get bad news either way in my opinion if I was gonna um, be healed then that was great um, in terms of worldly stuff and I'd come a long way with God and I would work out where to go next and it was great that I got to spend more time with my family. But if I wasn't going to be healed and the prayers that people had been praying hadn't been answered in the way that they'd wanted, then I knew where I was going. And so I didn't think that it was bad news to say that I was going to be with Jesus. We could, I, I really felt strongly that we couldn't use God as a genie in a bottle at this point and only give him the glory if it was good news because glorifying him through the good and the bad is what we're asked to do now Stephen here has a really tough tough choice it's much harder than anything I could tell you about my life he has to stand where Jesus stood in front of the council the Sanhedrin and decide what to do next he could I guess say oh I'm not going to talk about Jesus anymore please let me go He could say nothing at all and hope that they'd just give up and let him go. He could try and share the good news and share some testimony with them. But these are the guys that made the plan to put Jesus to death. I think they're fully aware of the good news. So he is asked by the Holy Spirit to share with them where they were going wrong. And he delivers this searching address that would have been really hard for them to hear. I don't know what I would do in his situation. But Stephen is not doing it from anger. He's not doing it from frustration or hate. It says that he is full of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. It says his face was like a face of an angel, which is absolutely beautiful when we think that he's actually making them really cross. He's coming from a place of truth and a place of love. Because when we lie to people and let them get their own way in these things, we're not being loving. He stands in front of the Jewish experts on law, the Jewish experts on history, the Jewish experts on scripture. And he gives them a history and scripture lesson. Ouch. That would have been hard to hear. He tells them that they have not been Respecting the temple. This temple that was a gift to the Jewish people, they are using it to def- confine God. God is not confined by a building because He made the heavens and the earth. He tells them that throughout their history they've rejected and killed all the prophets and the messengers that they've been sent, that they haven't listened. And in that way, that they haven't actually obeyed the law that they think is so precious. He even uses scripture um, against them. That that's something that's precious to them. their specialist subject. He tells them that they're stiff-necked. He tells them they're uncirc- uncircumcised in hearts and mind. Those are scriptures that they would have come across again and again. And they would probably use daily. He uses the word of God like a sharp knife to highlight where they're going wrong. They would have been absolutely livid at this point. This guy is not a scribe, he's not a Pharisee, and, they are use, and he is using scripture, their specialist subject, against them. And we can see in the text how angry they are. These are dignified guys. These are upstanding members of the community, or at least that's what they thought, and they are gnashing their teeth. That's quite an ugly, undignified response. And then to top it off, Stephen looks up, and he shares with them that he is seeing Jesus at the right hand of God. That would have made them even madder. Because if you remember back when Jesus was in front of them, he tells them that's where he's going. And they call him a liar and they have him crucified. They can't respond to Stephen with words and arguments because he's speaking truth. So instead, they, they give the beautiful toddler response of, La 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 la, and they plan to stone him. Now, when we look at Stephen in those situations, it's so easy to say, "Oh wow, Stephen's like a Christian superhuman. He doesn't falter. He doesn't sound like he's afraid. He doesn't. He delivers the message without umming and aching." But Stephen is just a normal guy. Stephen is. A bread distributor, we find out beforehand in the chapter before. That's his job. It's not a glamorous job. That's the job he gets given, and he does it. um, Stephen has the Holy Spirit. Both of those things are completely accessible. If you want to be a bread distributor, you could do what Stephen did. If you want the Holy Spirit, you just got to ask. Then he gets gifts of the Holy Spirit and these signs and wonders. We don't find out what they are, but we know that that is accessible to anyone who asks and has the Holy Spirit. He preaches and teaches. Those are his gifts. They're not necessarily gifts that everyone gets, but those are his gifts. It never says that Stephen is superhuman. It just says that Stephen has the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is so great that it can make ordinary people used to glorify God. Stephen has faith and he does what he's asked to do by the Holy Spirit. That's it. His death may be certain, but he knows where he's going. And that's what's important. In the grand scheme of things, actually, Stephen doesn't get much. If you look in Acts, he appears in Acts chapter 6. And by the end of Acts chapter 7, he's dead. Two chapters. We don't hear any of his speeches, We don't hear anyone being converted. We don't even hear the details of his signs and wonders. Two measly chapters. And the council that he makes this wonderful speech full of history and scripture don't even change their mind. They still persecute Christians. They still have got their fingers in their ears, as strong as they ever did. They still want to race out of the city and stoke him to death. But... This is not a case of, ah, uh, could do better. It's actually the start of something. They, he race out the city and they stone him. And at that point, he prays for them. That is really humbling. And it's like Jesus did, praying for those who persecuted him. And he, his life ends in complete trust, the way, the way all of his story that we hear did. And is that it? is that it? Stephen dies. full stop end. Well, there's ripples from his death that go all the way through the New Testament and affect the church today. If his death started a persecution and sent the Christians to Judea and Samaria, well, isn't that what Jesus asked them to do right in the start of Acts and they hadn't got around to doing yet? So, it starts the conversion of people in Judea and Samaria. It's not just running away, it's taking the message with them. And what about Paul? So, in this story, Stephen forgives those who are killing him, who are allowing him to die in such a horrible way. And there's a guy called Saul. So, Saul is Paul, it's the same person. So like uh, um, Pharisee foot formerly known as Saul, I guess. Um, he's standing there and he is agreeing and delighting in Stephen's death, and he is holding the coats because he doesn't want to get his hands dirty, and then he's the one who starts the next level of persecution. Now, most people probably know that Paul has that big conversion on the Damascus road and then goes out to do a lot. But I wonder whether if, it, if Stephen hadn't allowed him that forgiveness so he knew that he was forgiven by Stephen, whether he had done all that, taking the gospel to the centre of what was the known world, which was Rome. Now, if you're sitting there and going, great, yeah, I get it. Stephen's great and he had the Holy Spirit, but I couldn't do that, even with the Holy Spirit. Then I want you to have a think about Paul. Paul is the best example of the transformation the Holy Spirit can have in us. It turns Paul, this murderous, zealous, stuck-up guy who only cares about the tiny bits of law, into this guy who becomes one of the biggest missionaries ever. Three missionary journeys, countless churches, letters that we still have, the apostle to the Gentiles. Without the Holy Spirit, he would have still been that guy, holding the coats, being grumpy at the Christians. And if the Holy Spirit can do that with Paul, can you imagine the possibilities for you and me? Or maybe we're a little bit stuck in the mentality of the council. Now, I'm not saying we're all Christian murderers. I really hope we're not. But maybe we're a little bit like that with the temple keeping Jesus and the Holy Spirit limited or trying to, to Sunday mornings, to church, to Zoom church, to meeting with other people from St Saviour's. Maybe we're a bit stuck in our history and traditions so that we don't have space for the Holy Spirit to change things and do things differently. Maybe if you've ever heard, well that's how we've always done it, or, or in a church, or you don't like it, when people try and change things, then you've got a little bit of the counsel in you. And I know that we all do. The Holy Spirit cannot be confined to a building or a church or a time or a day. If we do that, we try and limit him and he won't help in the same way he helped Stephen. As the... As the council try and put him in the temple, God spills out and goes to Samaria and goes to Judea with his apostles and tells people outside the church. He doesn't wait for people to come to the temple to find out. It's like in the New Testament when it talks about new wine in old wineskins. The Holy Spirit cannot be contained by traditions In fact, if we were still in our Jewish traditions, none of the Gentiles would have been able to receive the Holy Spirit. There is a danger in religion and tradition when there isn't the Holy Spirit to guide us and tell us what we should keep and what we need to move on for, when we should go out and when we should stay. The Holy Spirit helped them take the word of God out rather than stay in. And it's that guidance that we all need now. There needs to be an openness. Sometimes we still are putting our fingers in our ears, even if we don't realise it. Or we're too busy talking to God to actually listen. And that's a tricky balance. How do we do that? Well, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Stephen's story is a beautiful part of it when he's looking up at Jesus and it says that Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. Whereas earlier when Jesus talks about it, it talks about sitting. And it's kind of a standing in solidarity. He's standing in solidarity with Stephen when things are tough. He stands in solidarity with us when he asks us to go out. We're not going out alone. But we need to keep our eyes up. It's so easy to look down and focus on the here's and the now, especially in the pandemic, about the housework and the homeschooling and everything that we need to do and do differently, that we lose the focus on Jesus. Keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes on the eternal perspective rather than the dot that is just this moment. And if we're able to keep that focus, if we're able to Open our ears and our eyes to the Spirit, stop talking and make sure that we haven't got our fingers in our ears and saying la 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 when it comes to change. Then I'm excited to see what the Holy Spirit can help you do with your two chapters. And if you're thinking, I'm too young, I'm too old, I've got too many health problems, my life is just too boring, then you need to go back to the Bible because there's stories of Jesus of God using all of those groups of people and doing wonderful amazing things it may be that you're not going to be a famous evangelist it may be that you're not going to be an international missionary it may be that you're not going to be an amazingly successful church leader but God is still going to use you if you let him if you're filled with the Holy Spirit the possibilities are endless and they're exciting and you're still not sure where it all starts, then I think we need to just stop a second and pray. Holy Spirit, come. Give us ears to follow, ears to hear, and hearts to trust you and hearts to follow you. Lift up our eyes to focus on you as we walk through life. Amen.